You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. How many of you are watching the Olympics? Anybody? Really, that's just a couple of you. Where's your patriotism? And what's it? Okay, thank you. There's a few better. Um, so yesterday, I just had a little time. So I was watching, you know, whatever was on. And what happened to be on at the time was the men's road race. Bicycle road race. Are you, are you familiar with this at all? So it's a hundred, there's a, 128 bikers from 57 countries going on a 145 mile bike ride. Um, a third of them never even finished. I mean, imagine that you've got, you've been training for something forever and you get, and they don't even finish. So it's that grueling. The winner, uh, I forget his name actually, he's from the country of Ecuador, six hours, five minutes, and 26 seconds. Can you imagine riding a bike for six hours, f- five minutes and 26 seconds? I mean, the five minutes I could do, but the six hours was just be crazy. So I mentioned the seconds because after 145 miles, he, the second, so the guy who won the second place person was only a minute and seven seconds behind him. Six hours and five minutes, 20 seconds. And then the, what separates the first and the second person is only one minute. But here's the thing that was fascinating to me. The, in the next eight riders, so second through nine, those riders all finished with the same time. Identical. They had, they had, they had different, you know, so there were, they had the different sequence they finished in, but they didn't break the thing down in fractions of a second. So imagine that eight riders finished Within a, you know, within a second of each other at one, at one clump. Um, <clears throat> so the difference between a silver medal and going home with an eighth place thing was less than a second of that time. I just, for me, just the, the competition and the, 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 what separates success from failure is just minuscule. It's just amazing uh, to be able to watch and see. So uh, Betsy's all excited today. The women's gymnastics starts. And so that's uh, always a fan favorite in, in our home. So, so um, yeah. So anyways, I just like the Olympics. <laughs> it's fun to watch. <laughs> Has nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever. <laughs> Who here likes it when someone, um, when you find out someone is trying to sell you something you don't want? You ever had that happen? Um, I mean, think of, uh, think about a, a, a telemarketer. Um, we get every now and I get one. It's a, the, it's a recorded message, and uh, you know the, the the extended warranty is about to, ready to expire on your 13 year old car. You know, it's like that's not what there's. They don't say that. it's like really our car. There's no way you're going to extend a warranty. And but how does that make you feel? I mean, just something like that. You've got a telemarketer. Somebody is just kind of what, what's the emotion? What's, what's an emotion you might feel? Annoyed? Aggravation? Irritation? It's not a pleasant feeling, is it? Or what about this? Any of you ever bought a new car? Okay. Cup, okay. So there's a few of us. Okay. So, you, you know, it's a really, it can be a really intimidating process. Um, and you finally, if you negotiate, you might settle on the sale price. All right, here's the car. But then they want to sell you all the other stuff. Uh, up north, the big one was the anti-rust stuff. Well, to treat it, you know, it's another $250 to do this. Oh, and the floor mats, those are extra. Or not just the regular mats, but they want to sell you these. And all of a sudden, you've got this couple of $1,000 that have been added on by these extras. And I don't know about you, I, for me, it's just an uncomfortable 
awkward experience. I just don't enjoy it. It's just not something fun. So, but whether we're irritated or we just feel awkward, the idea of someone trying to sell us is one we just don't like. We just don't appreciate. Similarly, I don't like selling. Now, a long time ago, um, I was, uh, this a long time ago, was looking for a job and I responded to a classified ad in the newspaper. For those of you who are really young, this is when they actually used to print news on paper and then you actually would have to read it from the paper as opposed to a screen. Um, you see those in museums these days. Um, but the, the classified ad, you know, job one, it said, you know, be your own boss, you know, manage your own hours, all this, this, this. And it was really vague. But part of me was just really curious. What is this? So I showed up. And because it it invited you to come to this meeting. So I show up at the hotel room. Some of you are nodding your heads like, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. Uh, And uh, so again, it's a hotel conference room. And there's about 15 of us in the room. And I think I, at the time, I was about 30 years old. I was by far the oldest one in the room. Okay, so this is the, that's the dynamic. And so he kind of... I find out, you know, the guy is given kind of the, you know, kind of the rolling us out and discovering that the business that we're invited to participate in is selling perfume. <laughs> you know, so for the next 15 minutes, he's given us the speech of why this is the best thing since ice cream. And we're, we are actually honored or should feel honored and enjoyed that we have this opportunity to sell it for them. So after, you know, he's done with things. So I had a question, so, you know, which is a surprise. Sam has a question. Um, I said, you know, are we given leads? You know, are there company, you know, corporate accounts we're supposed to manage? I mean, how does this work? And uh, so his answer, he said, well, that's the beauty of our company. He said, there are no limits to who you can sell to. (laughs) You can sell to any business. And I remember him saying that. I was like, that's interesting. Kind of a little different. But then he goes on. He says, you can sell to any business or friends or family. I uh, like, ugh. And when I said that, I knew where things were going. And, and uh, he finished the stuff. So basically, in short, I had to prepay for a box of product that I then had to sell to whoever I could find willing to buy the stuff. Um, so here's the thing. It's not as if I had something that was really rare or valuable or something that was in great demand. I mean, it was perfume you could buy at any gas station, you know, standing <laughs> in the corner. Um, there was no way I was going to put pressure on anybody to buy this stuff. I wasn't going to do my friends and family. There's no way I was going to do that. And there's no way I was going to be spending my days walking door to door in businesses, trying to get stores and merchants to put my, you know, product on their shelves in order to sell it. Um, now, while some people are really good at making a living that way, that I just knew at that moment that wasn't, I wasn't. I'm not wired that way. I just know that was the whole idea of, of doing this made me feel very uncomfortable. Well, the passage we're going to look at here this morning has the potential to make us feel like we've just been asked to make cold call sales on people. Um, now, you know, it's like, well, why are we going to look at that passage? Let's look at a better one. Um, <laughs> because this is really important. What I think we're talking about that sometimes, sometimes one of the things I preach about grace is that sometimes we're, we're, uh, we have to have the harder conversations. We have to talk about all the gospel. We have to talk about all that's in the Bible and all that is that we're called to do. So don't worry. 
Um, I'm going to unwrap this in a way I hope that is very palatable. And actually, by the end of it, I'm hoping and expecting that you're actually going to feel very excited about moving ahead in what God has called us to do. So the passage is actually from Matthew chapter 28. And uh, so you can follow along on the screen. <clears throat> actually, let's read this together, can we? It's not that long. It's just a couple of verses. So let's read this together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that, uh, um, that we have this really, really important um, passage that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, so, Father, I just pray for, as, as we've already encountered your presence and the anointing of your spirit, um, Lord, may we continue uh, just to expect and anticipate your anointing in our mind, as our ears, as we hear um, what you're saying through your word. Uh, so, God, I just pray that you would continue to work in our lives here in the next few minutes, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, for many of us, the the verse we just read is a fairly common passage. In fact, we actually have a name for it. It's called the Great Great Commission. Um, And the idea that all people in every country of the world, I mean, everyone, the idea that they would come to know and have a personal relationship with Jesus, that actually causes all of us to have kind of warm, tingly feelings, doesn't it? I mean... It just, we do it. I mean, imagine living in a world where loving Jesus was the norm, not the exception. And the thing is, though, God's plan for redemption of all humanity includes us. You know, it's funny, sometimes I think about, you know, God's plan is, wait, I understand the whole Jesus and I that his role and why that was necessary. I get that. But why involve us? I mean, really, there's got to gotta be a better idea. I mean, look at us. I mean, us, you know, God, why would he choose us? You know, but that's it. He, he does. God chose us as part of his redemptive plan for humanity. So with this in mind, today is the first of a three-part series we're looking at here in the next couple of weeks that we've entitled Go, God's Call for Ordinary People in Everyday Life. As I said, Jesus did all that was required, all that was necessary on the cross. We don't earn salvation. We don't have to earn anything with God. It's done for us because of his sacrifice that that he did for us. Still, people need to hear about the good news in order to be able to respond to it. And that's where we come in. So while in our mind, we know the Great Commission is right and good, there might be a part of us that feels like Jesus is asking us to make cold call sales on people. Now notice the name of the series here is God's call for ordinary people in in everyday life. Now it's possible that we make the idea of the great commission far harder than it needs to be. So to keep God's call on us simple, a few thoughts. First thought is this, going is relational. Go live out the love of Jesus as we build relationships with others. We're to love people, not sell to them. Have you ever, and you're reading the Gospels or hearing Bible stories about Jesus, have you ever gotten the sense that Jesus was trying to sell 
anybody about anything? You never really do, do you? What you do get a sense of, however, is that he truly cared about people. He was genuine in his care and concern for people. People should not be targets for us to reach. Right? If you find yourself thinking that way, you're probably not thinking correctly. Or if you're feeling like, oh, I need to go do something, who can I get? You know, who do I talk? You, you, you're looking at it the wrong way. Um, and that's not, a, it's, it's, it's actually more of cumbersome. It's more of a burden than it is releasing. Love is a big deal. In fact, in his letter to the, uh, the church, the people that were in Galatia at the time, Paul tells us the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is wrapped up in that. Love is important. Going is relational. My second thought is this. Going is visual. Go, be representative of Jesus so people can experience Jesus. Now, Paul, in his second letter uh, to the Christ followers who are in the city of Corinth, he says this. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And here's this. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Imagine that. Now, it's a couple couple of things to remember about an ambassador. Think about politics, think about government. You have an ambassador to different countries. They don't make policy. They don't act. They don't speak on their own. They don't have to initiate anything. They represent a country, and they speak on behalf of a president. Okay? They're an ambassador on behalf of someone else. At the same time, they have a huge influence on the nature of the relationship between the two countries. I mean, I, I'm, I'm convinced if you look at some of our history that some of our ambassadors have saved us from war because of the way we have negotiated behind the scenes to say, all right, everybody settle down, let's talk. And they've negotiated those relationships in a way that they represented the president and the government, but they managed that relationship with another country. Incredibly important, the role of an ambassador. The same is actually true for us. People will come to know and trust Jesus in a manner that is consistent with the way we represent him. So the question I think each of us should ask ourselves is this. Do I represent Jesus well? Do I represent Jesus well? My third thought is this. Going is practical. Go, do good deeds that open people's heart to Jesus. Now, have you ever um, had someone to do something nice for you only to discover it's because they wanted something from you? I mean, you just feel kind of used, don't you? Just like, ugh. Just, it feels terrible. I feel kind of betrayed, you know, that uh, just, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? It's not like, I'm going to do something nice for you. Now you have to listen to me tell you about Jesus, or I'm going to do something nice for you. Now you have to come with me to church. You know, or it's, there's not this quid pro quo kind of thing. <clears throat> what Jesus is talking about here, what we feel in the scripture quite consistently is that when it means to do, some, do good deeds, what we're talking about here is putting the needs of others before yourself. Not because I want something from them, but because I genuinely want what's best for them. 
That doesn't mean that we're unaware of the positive effect. I mean, we can be well aware that, hey, I, I recognize I'm doing something good and nice for you. And yes, I'm aware of the fact that you might appreciate it and respond in a positive way. That's just icing on the cake. That should not be our primary motivation for doing what we do. Our motivation should be because I care about you and want the best for you. Jesus recognized the, the whole relational dynamic is that how we treat people has a direct relationship on their openness to God. In fact, he says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and, and praise your Father in heaven. So there's a correlation that even Jesus recognized existed as to how we behave, how we act in our relationships with other people can open the door for spiritual conversations and ongoing um, and spiritual interaction. My fourth thought is this. Going is attractional. Go live such a contagious faith that others are attracted to Jesus. <clears throat> now, being contagious is not always about being happy and life is good and everything is great. Um, Betsy and I have a, a close friend. Actually, it's her former uh, youth pastor, and my my first pastor that I served under, actually second one, because, uh, but anyways, huge influence on our life. He married us, and we discovered not too long ago that, although we, he hasn't specified, he hasn't actually stated it, we think um, he has stage four lung cancer. Um, but it's interesting, he, he, he never names it, and he never says, I have cancer. He says, my body's fighting cancer. It's a really interesting way. But here's the thing that, his name is Jay. Um, <clears throat> at least once or twice a week, Jay sends out an email to all, whoever is asked for, to be a part of this, that he's actually taking us through this journey with him. It's, it's amazing to hear how someone who is facing that is processing life through a spiritual lens. It's fascinating how we see God in the midst of adversity, of trial, of pain, of suffering. Being contagious is when we inspire others with our words and our actions. So I've discovered through Jay and through others, and you may have people in your life who this way, that being contagious is also being faithful. It's being honorable. It's being trustworthy. It's being ethical. How we behave, how we act, how we live our life influences other people. Now, the irony, I said, I mentioned before here that I don't like to sell. The irony in that is that I do it pretty much every Sunday up here, don't I? I mean, really. I mean, if we're honest about it, um, I try to get you to think and act in a way that's consistent with Scripture. So for some of you, that's, you know, affirming what you already thought or knew. For others, it's a paradigm shift, like, huh. <laughs> but the fact is, each of us sells every day, don't we? I mean, parents... Um, you know, kids, it's time to clean your room. And yes, threats and coercion are a form of selling. <laughs> you know, or if, if you happen to be married, your spouse, you know, will you stop at the store on your way home from work and pick this up? All right, how do I convince them in the best way possible this is what I want them to do? Or you're at work and you're trying to get your coworkers to see that your idea is the better of the ideas. And all of us sell every day in our relations with other people. 
So the idea or the, the, the question, am I a contagious Christian, is actually the wrong question. It assumes a yes or no response. The fact is, all of us are contagious. People are catching something from us. The better question for us might be, are they catching Jesus from us? Are they catching something else? So with that in mind there about how we want to think about it, why is this so important? Why is our role in the Great Commission such a big deal? I think there's four reasons as we were working through these four different things that we came up with that we thought would be worth mentioning. One is that reaching the lost is the heart of Christ. Jesus himself tells us in Luke chapter 19, for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I mean, he said, this is why I'm here. This is why I came. It's for the lost. You know, the church is one of the few, if, only, if not the only organization that exists for its non-members. I mean, we exist. Yes, there's stuff we do together, but we're here because of those we want to reach. <clears throat> Jesus gave his life so that every individual may have the opportunity to discover relationship with God. They can discover life and discover hope for themselves. If we're a follower of Jesus, we should want to be like Jesus, right? And if we want to be like Jesus, then reaching the loss should be important to us because it was important to Jesus. Another reason why reaching the loss should be important to us is that telling others about Jesus is the mandate given to every Christ follower. Now, we understand that the Great Commission, the verse we just read, was given to the followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, um, to the apostles. And we, we know just from history what that looked like. And we get into the book of Acts. We see how that well, actually they took that to heart and actually became reality. But here's what we also know, that the words Jesus was speaking 2,000 years ago, he was speaking to us today as well. It wasn't as if he was saying, all right, you 12 or you, uh, I know there was more than 12 at that moment when he said it. He says, all right, this is for you guys only, and everyone else can disregard this. No, it's everyone who claims to follow Jesus is part or, or recipient of that great commission. So when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he wasn't talking in philosophical terms. Like, hey, this is kind of a good idea. You know, if you've got some time, think about this and maybe go do something. That's not what happened. He looked directly at them. In my paraphrase, he said, go make it happen. Go make it happen. There was an expectation that they would do what he said. In fact, therefore go, when we actually looked at in, in another way to look at that, because you know, in, from the Greek version, is as you go, make disciples. So there was no question about are you going. It's as you go, do this. There was full expectant, expectation on the part of Jesus that uh, they would do this. Now, the other thing, part of it I think is interesting. Think about, you know, in your relationship with others, when you're wanting to establish your authority to actually, you know, say this. You know, as a, a parent, you know, you might say, hey, I'm your mom or I'm your dad. You need to do this, right? The, you know, so there's, uh, we established a chain of authority. I have the position. You need to do what I say. Um, 
you know, or if, if you're at work and maybe you're the boss and you've, had, you've talked about it and you say, you know what? All right, I hear what you're saying, but here's what I want us to do. Because of your position as boss, you can make that claim and you can actually do that. Listen to what Jesus says to establish his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, think about that. that, that that's a little bit bigger than I'm your mom, do what I say. Right? Or I'm your boss, you're going to get fired. It's, no, no, no. There is no other authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing with more authority. No superhero ever made such a claim. I mean, it is amazing the, the authority that he established that it's incredibly all-inclusive. Jesus fully expected his followers to carry out his mission. As gentle and mild as we know Jesus to be, there are some things that he, just, he, that he was very convicted of as far as the necessity and essentialness. See, it's important for us to realize that when it comes to reaching the lost, there is no plan B. You know, God didn't up say, well, let's try this and see what happens. You know, and he's not out there wondering, why? Well, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Um, you know, this is it. This was God's plan um, for redemption is utilizing us to talk and to share and to bring the good news of Jesus to other people. Now, again, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about the how. All right, let's, 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 we're going to actually talk about just some of the nuts and bolts of what that might look like and some of the things that actually should, I think should be pretty fun. But the simple definition of evangelism is those who know sharing with those who don't. It's telling the story of the good news. Jesus has paid the price for us. We can be reconciled with God. Now, there's a third reason why we should, <clears throat> that reaching the lost should be important to us. And that's reaching the lost is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Um, last year, the Pew Research Center, um, just it's a national polling entity, they did a national poll, um, and they discovered that um, <clears throat> more that. Um, Little more than a third of all people in America do not identify with a religion or faith. Okay, a little more than a third. <clears throat> now, we might be tempted to say, well, that means almost two thirds of them do. Like, that's, that's pretty good. Because um, that's certainly not what we hear out there. So, actually, that number was a little higher than I thought. Let me frame it in a little different way, however. <clears throat> walk down the neighborhood, walk down the street, and, and, and you're walking through your neighborhood. Every third house doesn't know Jesus. Every third house, every third family in your neighborhood doesn't know Jesus. Now, we also might be tempted to think, well, that might be other parts in the country, in the Northeast or the Northwest, or, but not here. I mean, we're in the Bible Belt, right? <clears throat> not much longer. I don't know about your neighborhood, but within the past year, five houses on our street have changed ownership. One of them, a family moved in from San Francisco, one from Chicago, one from New York, one from Wisconsin, one from New Hampshire. None of them are from here. <clears throat> now, I realize that might stir a whole set of different emotions in you, um, but the point I want to make around that is this. All around us, neighbors, work, wherever we're at, all around us are people who are lost and who don't know Jesus. And it doesn't matter how successful or how content people appear to be without Christ, they are hopelessly lost and headed for eternal separation from God. The stakes are high. 
The stakes are high. We should have care and we should have compassion. Our attitude should be that I don't want anyone to be separated from God for all eternity. We should care about that. Now, last, now lastly, if the previous three reasons aren't compelling enough, um, let me add a fourth. I think uh, reaching the law should be important to each of us because your mission gives your life meaning. Um, Friday night, they had opening ceremonies for the Olympics. And I, and I, for, 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 I don't know about you, but I, you know, I just find that a fascinating. Um, you know, so we watched a part of it. Um, I know that this, just from the statistics they provided, that more than 11,000 athletes from 206 countries are there in Tokyo um, right now. And if you've ever watched the opening ceremonies, I mean, it was really kind of odd because the stands were empty. The stadium, because of COVID and things, that they've had empty stands. But it's still, the athletes, you wouldn't know that. Because it's a joyous celebration. It's something that is just very festive atmosphere. They're all smiles. It's just a great time uh, for them. I particularly enjoy watching athletes from small developing countries. You know, so you got the U.S. You know, I got a couple, two, three, I forget how big our size, you know, 400 people there. And you had some countries where, I think there were some countries where it was just one person. One person, I'm representing an entire country. And imagine that. Um, I especially enjoy watching the flag bearers as they come in. You know, as they're holding the, the, their, their national symbol, their nation's flag. And as they, you can just tell, for, for many of them, this is, this is the moment of a lifetime. Representing their country and the pride and just the moment, you can tell for some of them, just by watching their facial expressions is just really um, e- emotional for them. For just a few moments, as we're watching the opening ceremonies, for me, it's just an escape. For just a few moments, it seems as if all is right in the world. And it made me forget for a little bit of time just how complex and noisy life is these days. You know, advancements in technology have improved our life in many ways. Um, I'm Amy Cole, I'm pointing to sure because that's where Amy sat last week. She's not here today. I don't know why I'm pointing there, but I did. <laughs> had hip replacement surgery. Some of you have, have uh, replaced, I mean, he had surgery. It was outpatient surgery. You know, just, we're going to do this and I'll go home. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and, and Ron had, you know, the bypass surgery. The things they can do technologically today are just amazing and have made life so much better and, and so, so many things. But we also know that technology has also made life far more complicated. The fact is, because we have the internet and things like laptops and cell phones, some of us never leave work. And even if we're not doing work, we feel bad because we feel like we should be doing work. And there's somebody I should be talking to or something I should be working on. We're never away. For some people, it's really hard to become unplugged ever. So technology has actually made life more complex. And noisy... I'm not talking about volume. I'm talking about just static noise that's out there. We have way too many problems that never seem to get resolved. And it just feels like half the population has forgotten how to think, and the other half is just angry. And then add to this, how many plates do you try to keep spinning every day? 
I mean, it just seems like there's just plate after plate after plate and this thing and that thing. And we're trying to keep, you know, balance for we've got kids or maybe it's grandkids and, you know, try to manage relationships. And we've got maybe our own health challenges that we're dealing with. And maybe it's work or maybe it's bills to pay and all these different plates, all these different things that we keep spinning. And it can feel overwhelming, can't it? It really can Here's what I'm convinced of. As Christ followers, we can find peace and hope and strength in a God who is bigger than any problem we could ever face. And a God who hasn't abandoned us to navigate this life alone. He's promised to be with us. In fact, just the opposite. God looks at us and says, I want you on my team. You have value on my team. I want you on my team. Together we can make a difference. Apostle Paul experienced this in Acts. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel, the good news of God's grace. I mean, for Paul, that became it. This was a man who, this was the central thing in his life. When, here's the thing I've discovered, is that when God invites you to join his team, He doesn't send you out to make cold calls. Allowing God to use us for his purposes is the most meaningful thing we can do. And as Christ followers, we should be looking for those opportunities when God might want to work through us to reach others. Sometimes I wonder, though, as I've been thinking and reflecting as to why we might feel like this is an awkward thing and why we might feel like this is difficult and challenging. Sometimes I wonder if it's, um, let me, let me, let me, let me set up this way. When, uh, Betsy, when I was, let me use the word, when I was courting, use an old term, (laughs) Betsy. Okay. I mean, I wanted to do whatever she wanted to do. Right. You want to do this? Okay. You want to eat this? Fine. You know, did I like it? Didn't matter. You know, it's just whatever, right? I mean, that's kind of when, when we're wanting, when we're, we, when that beginning years of our, the beginning of a relationship and we're just drawn to this person, we want them to like us. And, and there's all this desire to, how do we make them happy as, and we're falling in love and all these different types of things. What happens in too many relationships is over time, I, I, well, let me say this, I, I refer to that from my perspective, that was the chase. It's about chasing chasing her, and, and I think men, I think, are generally like that, that we enjoy that. But what happens in too many marriages over time is they, they forget about the chase, and they just begin to kind of stop chasing the other one. My observation is that many marriages run into problems when the, the spouses stop investing in the other one. It's not, and we become much more focused on ourselves. It's about me. What do I want? What do I need? What do I care about? As opposed to how can I make you happy? What can I do for you? How can I, uh, I think the phrase I use, how can I fill your love tank? You know, what is it you need to do to feel affirmed and loved? And I think it's the same thing with Jesus as well. I think all of us love the idea, hey, we're saved, we're going to heaven, and we've been redeemed, fantastic. All right, now let's get on with life. And we've forgotten what that feeling looks feels like. And we've, 
I think uh, another ways that I've heard you sometimes, sometimes we've forgotten our first love. We forgot what it means to be in love with Jesus. So my sense is that when we're truly in love with Jesus, the idea of sharing our, that relationship with others, it doesn't feel like selling at all. In fact, I have no trouble telling anyone about my relationship with Betsy. I really, I mean, I feel really good even after all these years. And I think most days she feels the same. And, um, <laughs> but it's just an amazing dynamic, an amazing thing. And I just realized that sometimes when I don't feel the same way about Jesus or about sharing, sometimes when I don't feel about sharing others with others about Jesus, I may actually just look and say, what is my relationship with Jesus come to? And I think for some of us, this idea that part of embracing the Great Commission, the initial part for some of us is falling in love with Jesus all over again. And that's why I love when we sing and worship the morning. It was, it was just, God, we just want to be in your presence. We recognize what you've done for us. We recognize what Jesus has done. And we continue to pursue that relationship. We pursue it not because, not because Jesus is elusive. It's not because God's, you know, somehow we can't find him. We do it because there's always more of him available than what we currently have. There's always more of Jesus available to us than what we currently have. Do we want more? My feeling is, is if we pursue Jesus, if we have that first love of Jesus in our life, this idea of sharing with others actually becomes a non-issue because it just becomes an outgrowth of who we are as we have relationships and with friends and others. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your love and mercy. I thank you for what you're doing uh, in our lives. And Lord, uh, I know for some of us, the idea of sharing our faith is just really intimidating and really hard. And Father, I'm grateful that we have the next couple weeks to actually break that down even further and take away some of that. Um, You have the opportunity to take away that. But Father, today, just to be able to say and talk about and to come to a place where we are so convinced and so changed ourselves that talking about you with others becomes secondary. Father, I know each of us, myself included, need a, a larger dose of you in our life. So, Father, we come here today not because we have it all together, not because we have all things figured out and everything is great. Uh, Lord, we're here today because we we love you, but, Father, we also know we need you. We need more of you. So, Father, my prayer is that each of us in the days ahead would be intentional about seeking you, whether at renewing a, a quiet time, Um, that we have kind of let slip away. Or maybe it's uh, just giving ourselves opportunity to think and to feel um, about you as opposed to just keeping active, keeping busy. So God, I pray that as we give you time in our life, I am very confident that you do not wait. You do not hold back. You rush in excited that uh, we have embraced that relationship again. Uh, So Father, heal us where we need healing. Father, encourage us where we need um, hope. And Father, I pray that uh, where there's questions or uncertainty, that you would bring confidence. So Lord, we again just thank you and trust you for all things and believe that you will accomplish your purposes in us and through us. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray all these things.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.